The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. We are talking Bucks, Bulls, observations from it. I was at the Pfizer Forum, so we'll talk about that. Also explain why I was unable to do a review inside the stadium. Uh, that'll be kind of our Chuck's Corner early. Um, and then we'll talk about Jaron Reed coming to the Green Bay Packers, what that could do from a D-line perspective. And then lastly, we will talk kind of some Brewer stuff. We have arbitration got settled. Uh, I think only one was outstanding. And then you also have the Marlins news that was very interesting that we'll touch on at the end. So we have that all for today. Um, make sure you're following along. So you get those reviews right away. Tapping the keg on Twitter. Tapping the keg sports on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, also, rate, review, and subscribe. Um, I know most of you probably are subscribed already, but if you're not for some reason, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button. And then if you are, make sure you're rating and reviewing. See how easy that works? All those things are good. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls. So Milwaukee Bucks played the Bulls for the third time this season. The Bucks were a eight-point favorite heading into it. I looked at it and I said, well... Vegas finally caught up with the Bulls being pretty mediocre against the top teams in the Eastern and Western Conference. Chris Middleton being out, I was like, well, you definitely should stay away here because, again, it, the number seemed a little high. I'm mad I did because the Milwaukee Bucks absolutely blew out the Chicago Bulls in a message-defining game for the Bucs because I really thought that the Bucs were as crisp as I've seen them from start to finish. Now, granted, I'm in person. That helps a lot, right? That definitely is something where when you're in person, you see a lot more. You just notice you know, the spacing. You notice the shot making. I thought the Bucs had so many good open looks in that game because it seemed like at least... I don't know, every third possession, somebody was open for a three. The Bucks ended up being 12 of 28 from beyond the arc, which it definitely felt like that. And they were feeling good. Like Pat Conton had three threes. Brooke Lopez had two threes. I think almost everybody who shot a three, oh, not everybody, but a lot of guys had multiple three-point baskets made in this one. Wes Matthews had two. Um, Holiday also with two as well. John Carter hit his patent in corner three as well in his 18 minutes of work. But it seemed like this was the full version of the Milwaukee Bucks. I realized Chris Middleton was missing, but it almost makes it more scary, right? Because the Milwaukee Bucks were able to hold Chicago under 100 points. They got it at 98. It was the first time since December 1st of 2021 since the Bucks had held a team under 90 under 100 points um Justin Garcia had that at, in the post game which is absolutely wild to think about given how good the Bucks have been defensively in the Budenholzer era and this has not been the greatest defensive effort season and part of that could be due to Giannis playing center and not necessarily having that Brooke Lopez component but having Brooke Lopez add in the fact that West Matthews defense Defense is still good. Like, I think a lot of people want to push Wes Matthews to the side. Wes Matthews still can play defense on the wing. You're going to need Wes Matthews in certain matchups where there will be times where Wes Matthews makes a little more sense than Pat Connaughton. I'm not saying he should have more minutes than Pat Connaughton, but I'm just saying that Wes Matthews needs to kind of be there just alongside Pat. So the combination of Brooke and Wes on top of Drew 
Giannis and Grayson Allen was a perfect combination for these this team to start the game. They got off strong with a nine point lead, or I'm sorry, thirteen point lead in the first quarter, and they never really looked back. You know how I feel about first quarters being fake in the NBA. I still stand by that, but it was kind of an avalanche, and the Bulls were never really able to recover. They made things really difficult for almost everybody. I think the only guy where I could really say, hey, he kind of had a decent game was Vucevic. Vucevic ended up having 22 points on 15 shots. He hit a few threes early on, but that was really their only offense. Like, Zach Levine, bad. He threw his towel at the end in frustration, had 21 points on only six makes and 16 16 field goals. Uh, DeMar DeRozan had 21 points and on 23 shots, missed four threes, was very ineffective. I mean, the, the entire Bulls team was ineffective, but the fact is, is that those guys were not what Chicago needed. Patrick Williams, who's back from injury, which helps, he was ineffective against Giannis, who I do think a lot of people looked at and said, okay, the Bucs are going to struggle a little bit more against Chicago because they added Patrick Williams. Patrick Williams is not having that Brook Lopez-like impact. The Bucs were 22 of 25 from the rim last night, uh, which, again, it shows the poorest defense of Chicago and shows a lot of the problems with the Bulls. And so seeing it in person, I think you really get a sense of how connected this team is right now and how dialed in they are. I think the Bucs are ready to kind of go on one more big run. I realize they have Washington on Thursday, and I would assume Drew Holiday misses the game. Um, you had Christmas on Tuesday. You had Giannis miss on Saturday. It would be only natural that Drew gets a day off as well and gets a breather. I prefer it against Washington versus Memphis, who's a potential finals matchup. Game actually should be on TV. I, can I just say real quick, like this is a tangent from the, the Bulls-Bucks game, but why does the NBA not have like an ability to just turn on games? Like, why can't NBA TV have Memphis, Milwaukee? Why can't, like, if ESPN has programming available, why can't they open up programming for a game like Memphis and Milwaukee? I guess you need announcers and things like that, but why couldn't you use Lisa Byington? Why couldn't you use the Bucks' feet and, and say, all right, it's probably a little egregious for ESPN, but for NBA TV, I, I kind of don't get it. I, there's probably a game on NBA TV Saturday night, but... It, whatever game it is, it really should be Memphis Bucks because that, I mean, potential finals matchup, it probably won't be a finals matchup. It'll be loud as hell in that, in that stadium. Really a tough place to play. The Bucks have won in the grindhouse recently, but yeah, that will be a tough one. Let's see if NBA, NBA TV it does not have a fucking game on Saturday. That's crazy. I realize the Elite Eight's going on. I realize Duke Gonzaga could be that night. But, I mean, Bucks-Grizzlies is a fucking massive game. That's, that's oh, man. What a missed opportunity. That's okay. But back to the five serve. I, I thought that the crowds were was okay. Um, I, you know, there were a lot of Bulls fans there. I saw somebody who said that his dad sold his tickets for like $700. So if Bulls fans want to, you know, fill Fiserv and spend their money, I mean, God bless them. I know people get mad about it, but I look at it as they're putting dollars into our stadium and that helps, right? And a lot of these Kenosha Racine Bulls fans who maybe either can't afford the United Center or they basically can't get down to Chicago, so they just do the quick drive to Milwaukee. 
they're the ones spending. They're the ones, you know, making concession purchases. I don't think they're buying any merch, but still that helps out. It helps the cause. So I'm not really going to wring my hands that there were a lack of Bucks fans there. Uh, it was, there were enough Bucks fans to draw out the boos of Grayson Allen, who was still getting booed by those swarmy Bulls fans. Um, and the Bulls, the Bulls fans were like really fired up early. Like I had a guy who was, I think, two rows ahead of me, who was wearing, like, a Lonzo shirt. His buddy was wearing, like, a very distressed Bulls shirt, like, very, like, vintage. Like, definitely guys who have who had their dad's credit card here for the game. Like, their dad got them tickets. They're here for the game. They're excited, whatever. And, and yeah, the guy was up and down, like, fired up early. And then you barely heard from him after the first quarter. It's like it was like he was there and he wasn't. Uh, so I don't. I welcome the Bulls fans. All right, like there's nothing wrong with having Chicago fans, and it just makes us more money. And as long as it's not like 60-40 Bulls fans, I think you're fine. I think that's that's not a problem. You're gonna have some Bulls fans naturally. I think it's ignorant to not expect Bulls fans. It's the only time where an opposing team has a easy drive or. There is a fan base here, whether it be because their dads are from Chicago and moms are from Chicago, or they were huge Michael Jordan fans, or their parents were. I mean, now we're getting to the ages, right, where kids probably, you know, I looked at those guys who were, you know, kind of douchebags, whatever. But I, I thought about it, and I was like, they, they, they have never, they don't know how, what Michael Jordan was. Like, that, that's the part of it where it's like, oh my God, like, we're... I'm probably like right at the, I don't say I'm at the tail end of Jordan. Yeah, I kind of am. Like, I think there are some friends of mine who probably don't remember watching Jordan. And, and which is stunning, but I, I kind of get it, right? Like when you're five, six, seven, you're not really a sports fan. No, I hated Jordan. Like I wanted Reggie Miller. I've talked about it before on the podcast. So you think about that and these kids, I don't know, they were probably 24, 25 so that's 10 years, not necessarily 10 years my younger, but definitely eight. And so there's no way. They, they never saw Jordan. And that's crazy. That's that, That'll happen more and more, but you know, it just always kind of blows your mind. So why couldn't I do the review? So I was there with my father-in-law and he was, I was also there with his, I don't know if they would say clients, they were business associates, uh, something like that, partnership maybe partners yeah maybe let's use that word and so i i was like thinking about it and he ended up having to leave early so i was just there with them and i was like okay they're good they're good people like really really nice and uh was a very good conversation just with them but i thought okay maybe they'll leave early and then i can just do the review and i'll just do the review from my seat you know the whole thing and that, that'll be good because that's nice that I usually see pretty good engagement when like I'm at a, at a venue, I do the review versus, you know, just at my couch or in my living room or in my kitchen or whatever. And they were like, I don't know, probably midway through the third quarter, maybe the early fourth or like they lived in this area where I'm, I live and they're like, well, we can take you home. And I was like, okay, like, great, like awesome. And I'm not going to say no, I'm not going to be like, Hey dude. I got to do a review, and so I got to do this somewhere in the stadium, and I don't need you to judge me. Like, I, there's no way I could turn down a ride home. Like, and I, like, A, it saves me money. B, 
it saves me from going out and having a few more beers, which I probably wouldn't have done. Um, my guy Murph was ended up being out, but I didn't get that text till about 10.30. But had I been looking for an Uber, had an Uber not been able to be found, and then I ended up having another Miller Lite at Slate, you know, here we go, right? But um, that didn't happen. I got the ride home. I did the review at home. I called it my Vietnam. I was being dramatic um, because I just, it sucks. Like, it sucks. I don't go to many Bucks games, all right? Like, I don't have unlimited Bucks opportunities. So when I could do a review at the stadium, um, it was something else. And if it was my friends, like if it was my guy Mach or it was uh, Shannon or somebody fan who saw me do a review like uh, with Marquette last week, if I was with any of them, like, yeah, I just do, I just pop off to the review real quick. Like they know what it's about. They understand, they get it. Um, they've seen it before. They might hate it. That's fine. I couldn't do it with just some random people. And I, I don't even know if, it, if I was just with my father-in-law, I couldn't do it. Like he's seen him. He's laughed at me before about him. Like, I just, I don't know. I, it's not that I get tight. It's just like, there's certain people that you just can't really do a review in front of. And one being uh, your dad's partners, two being uh, clients, um, three being maybe parents, uh, four, I wouldn't say my wife. I was like, I was like, yeah, maybe my wife. No, I do it in front of my wife all the time. She she hates it too. It's fine. It's a, it's a shtick. You gotta do it, man. You gotta, you gotta continue it. I know people really like it too. So I'm not trying to be too self-deprecating, but yes. That is why the review could not happen at the Pfizer Forum. Uh, tough scene for all of us, uh, but yeah, we will uh, we'll figure it out next time. I don't know what I could have done. Like I guess I could have snuck into the bathroom and been like, "Tap the keg," but like that's not that's not what you guys want. You guys don't want that. So um, yeah, that's why the review could not happen inside the Pfizer Forum. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. So Jaron Reed is now a member of the Packers. They signed him on a one-year deal. Jaron Reed. Played for the Kansas City Chiefs last year. Jaron Reed also uh, was on the Seattle Seahawks. He got drafted by the Seahawks. He had some really good years with the Seahawks. Definitely more of a pass rusher at the interior defensive line position. Uh, Jared Reed is a guy who I wouldn't call a space eater at all, but he's going to give Kenny Clark some help. And Kenny Clark really hasn't had help since Mike Daniels. Like Mike Daniels was the last guy that Kenny Clark could really rely on and let Kenny Clark eat. Now, Kenny Clark had an incredible season last year. Kenny Clark's one of the best interior defensive linemen in all of football. So you could argue Kenny Clark doesn't need the help, but this will only amplify what Clark can do on the football field. And Jaron Reed you know, has moments where he struggles, whether it be in the pass rush or stopping the run, but he also has moments where he really turns it on. Now, sometimes I wonder with guys if it's a situational thing. Remember, they signed Devondre Campbell to a one-year deal. Devondre Campbell now is on a five-year deal for the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers were able to sign Rasul Douglas off the practice squad of Arizona, and now Rasul Douglas is back on a three-year deal. Am I calling Reed the next Douglas or Campbell? No, but what I, I think I should point out and what I think you, you all should understand is the Packers are pretty good at identifying defensive talent, at least recently. They've definitely found guys that work. And so whether that is, and I think this would be a great question for Brian Gunacus, would be, 
So walk me through what you're doing for defense. Are you relying on Joe Barry? Is this more of a self-scout thing? Is it uh, you know combination of the two? Is it anything influenced by LaFleur? Because that to me is what I'm curious about. Is this something that Joe Barry identified guys for Brian Gunacus and was like, all right, yeah, I think this guy, this guy, and this guy could play with us if we need it. Um, this guy may be more of a nice to have. And then that guy like, yeah, no way. Don't, don't even think about it. I have no idea. I would, I'd be really curious to hear like how they've done it in terms of identifying defensive talent because they've hit it out of the park. I mean, two years ago with Christian Kirksey, it was a complete mess. Kirksey was very slow, didn't, could not play the middle linebacker position. But again, that was another regime. That was Mike Patton and didn't really work out for the Green Bay Packers. So I look at this and I think, I look at this and I feel like Green Bay is a very good front seven just from on paper. I think I look at the Packers on paper defensively and I say Reed, Clark, Dean Lowry, who was underrated last year, Sean Gary, Preston Smith, Devondre Campbell, and Chris Barnes. That's your front seven. That is a good fucking front seven. I'm not, I'd have to look at other front sevens to be like, where do I put them in terms of best in football? Maybe that's an exercise we can do for another podcast. But I, I think that's a front seven that's going to win you football games. And then you add into the fact that you have a secondary that is Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. You probably might have Rasul Douglas in there and then have one less linebacker. You know, I, I got how it all works. So maybe you're in a more of a 3-3-5 approach, which we have seen the Packers do a lot. So we'll we'll see what Green Bay, you know, does defensively, anything different, any little schemes. But I do expect a big year defensively for the Packers. I think defensive expectations for Green Bay have been have rose. I, I it's hard not to, right? You brought back Campbell, you brought back Douglas, now you've added Reed. You're probably gonna get Jair an extension before the season starts. I feel like the defense is probably as good as it's ever been for Aaron Rodgers. And that's something that cannot be discounted in terms of making a run to the Super Bowl. Because as his quarterbacks get older, now Aaron, again, MVP last two years, I understand that. But as they get older, they sometimes need a little more help. And having a defense like this could really help the pack, could really help the Packers, could really help Aaron Rodgers. So Definitely excited for Jaron Reed. I think it's going to really pay off dividends for this team going forward and do like where Green Bay is going from a defensive perspective. Other quick Packer news and notes. Uh, you had Devontae Adams and Zadarius Smith both have press conferences yesterday. Zadarius Smith, officially a member of the Minnesota Vikings, had an Instagram post saying it feels like home with a picture of him, Mike Patton, and Mike Smith who are now all on the Minnesota Vikings. So obviously the Vikings, you know, whether they advocated for Smith, whether Patton told new coach Kevin O'Connell that Pat, that Smith was a guy they wanted on their roster, um, he is now a member of the Minnesota Vikings. Now we've done this dance before. I had a uh, mini keg thing talking about how I, why I love former Packers in the NFC North because I think it's a great compliment. Like I think it's a compliment to the Green Bay Packers that people want what we have here in Green Bay. They want to try to make sure that these guys are part of their culture fit and turning around what they want to do. That's why the Bears get a guy like Lucas Patrick and Aquanimus St. Brown. They want to get different guys that have that Packer sort of, 
I wouldn't say magic, but have that have the understanding of what it takes to play winning football. And with Zedaria Smith, it's I, I don't know if it's that as much as it is more the fact that Patton and Smith are there. I completely forgot that Patton and Smith were there. So that makes a lot more sense on why he backed out of what he was doing in Baltimore and went to Minnesota. I, th- I don't know if we'll ever understand if there was some tampering going on. I think NFL and tampering, just as an aside, I think that's going to become a really big story. Because you're seeing more and more of these guys opt out of deals. You had the Randy Gregory situation. You had J.D. McKissick. You had Smith. I think there are a couple others too. I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL talks about kind of reshaping their tampering rules. Especially with Jerry Jones being one that got tampered against potentially. Jerry does not put up with any bullshit. I think we all know that about Jerry Jones. So I would imagine that Green Bay, or not Green Bay, that the NFL makes you know a little bit of a switch when it comes to tampering. As I, I was pretty hard on that with Derek Carr. And I think it's something that needs to be looked into. Speaking of tampering, you have Derek Carr. Um, now, well, I didn't. I wanted to talk about Devontae Adams and Derek Carr. I was like, well, that's a perfect transition, but I didn't finish my Smith thought. I, I All I'll say is I think that Zaria Smith could be awesome, could be really good for Minnesota. Uh, definitely playing on that fast turf will help. But I also do know that Zadarius Smith seemed like everything wasn't all there for him. Seemed like his ego got pretty big, uh, his head got pretty big, and I just wonder if that will affect him. Uh, maybe playing with Patton again, maybe playing with Mike Smith again will unlock some things. But it was clear, obviously, that Smith wasn't happy that Patton got let go, wasn't happy that Smith got let go. And so, well, Smith didn't let go. Smith was still the coach, but, you know, he just he decided that he needed to have you know greener pastures in East Dakota. So good for him. We'll see if Smith would be the first of a long line of non-QBs who haven't succeeded in, in Minnesota. Maybe he will be the first. As for Devontae Adams and that tampering Derek Carr, you know, I, I listened to that press conference and Devontae saying it was a dream to play for the Raiders. He always wanted to play for the Raiders. You had the Instagram story of him in a Raiders uniform. Makes a lot more sense. Um, I do wonder, and this is probably a larger podcast topic, why couldn't Green Bay have reworked that relationship? How what what happened there where Green Bay looked at Devontae and was like, Yeah, we're we're fine. We're fine with you doing the last dance. We're fine with you basically sort of going, you know, out on your own. Um, or was did Green Bay try to repair it and and they couldn't? Or was it that they were working on the Aaron Rodgers relationship so hard that they neglected Devontae? I think the Packers have learned a lot in the last two years, whether it be COVID, whether it be Rodgers, Adams for that matter. And I think they're going to be better for the future. I know that there are some hot takes out there that Green Bay is basically throwing away what they've done for the last 30 years. I push back on that. I think Green Bay is evolving. Like I, I think Green Bay is sort of taking shape with what the NFL is today. And I think Ron Wolf did that at times. I don't think Ted Thompson always did that. Um, and so that's how you get to a Super Bowl is by evolving and making sure that you're staying on trend, but not necessarily just doing everything else because the other teams are doing it, right? You, that's no way to win football, even though football, as you know, cliche term, copycat league, but that's that that's something that we'll see Green Bay, you know, thrive, I think, in the next few years. So I'm okay with Devontae going there. I've made peace with it. We'll see what the Packer receiving core looks like um, come September 
I don't know opening day. <laughs> Come mid-September. Some Brewer stuff before we ride out of here. They avoided arbitration with almost everybody except for Adrian Hauser. Uh, they think there was about a 500K difference with Adrian Hauser. Maybe a little bit more. It might have been 700K. But yeah, so the Brewers will go to an arbitration hearing with Adrian Hauser. Uh, they settled with a bunch of other guys. I think they ended up paying out $49 million. So kudos to the Brewers. I know a lot of people have been critical of maybe the Brewers being a little cheap, a little tight around the wallet. Um, I think this would be an example of the Brewers making sure they take care of their own. Um, I think being able to settle with some of the premier athletes, such as your Josh Haters, your Corbin Burns, Willie Adamas, and making sure that there are no nasty arguments between the two, I think is a really good thing. Uh, for those who are unaware, um, with arbitration, how it goes is they both submit. And then when they submit, then they negotiate and they say, well, what about this? What about that? I I think it would be one of the more interesting things to follow a GM lock. Like, I don't know if anyone would get that access in 2022, but to like sit in on, an arb- on basically these meetings with agents and would be awesome. That'd be so fun. I, I probably is boring. They're probably like, it's not as exciting as you think, but I think it'd be really interesting to hear like how the discussion goes. Maybe at least for a couple. Be like, all right, my client wants 3.5 million. And we're like, well, we're only willing to give your client 2.8. And it's like, okay, my client will settle for 3.2. And you're like, all right, deal. Or is it like, we'll settle for X, Y, and Z. And I don't know. I'd be fascinated to know, you know, I'm sure different agents have different strategies. I'm sure there's a lot there where like, you could probably find, you know, some themes in the guys who didn't settle or headed for arbitration. So yes, Adrian Hauser is headed for arbitration. It's an uncomfortable thing because basically arbitration is baseball explaining or the owners or the front office explaining why Adrian Hauser is not worth this money. Hauser then explaining why he is worth that money. And then they make a decision on where the money should go. Can get kind of uncomfortable, can kind of get sticky. Uh, hopefully it won't, um, but they do they do kind of talk shit about each other. Like Josh Hader had an arbitration hearing. It wasn't fun. Um, they just talk about all your flaws. And so it could kind of be something in the player empowerment area that throws somebody off. Now, I'm not saying Hauser is going to say, oh, I'm not playing for the Brewers or I demand a trade or anything like that. But I, I do think it's interesting that the Brewers are world apart with Hauser. I, I almost do wonder if that would make the Brewers interested in, ma- in making a deal for him, whether it be for a corner infielder, whether it be for a first baseman. Um, I, I just wonder if that could potentially be a way, and not necessarily out of Hauser, because like right now they have six guys who I think could start with Hauser, Aaron Ashby, and Eric Lauer being that kind of last four, five, six. So if there is a potential saying, all right, maybe Hauser is a guy that's expendable. If there's the relationship really isn't there, if we know that whenever he's up for free agency, I'd have to look at his contract. Baseball contracts are the weirdest. Um, maybe we just you know kind of go forward and say, all right, Adrian Hauser is a guy that potentially we might want to move. I like Adrian Hauser. I I think Adrian Hauser has a lot of potential, but I just that seems like something that could be an obvious like obvious decision make decision, right? So let's see here with Adrian Hauser and his contract. So yeah, they the Brewers still have two more years of control with Hauser, and then he's an unrestricted free agent in 2025. So. I don't think there is any chance that the Brewers would trade Adrian Hauser. 
Um, I think looking at that, it'd be really hard for me to see a reason why the Brewers would give up those two RBers for just, you know, disagreement. Other Brewer kind of, it's adjacent, Brewer adjacent, is that there are no longer any players from the Christian Yelich deal on the Miami Marlins. Isan Diaz and Monte Harrison were both designated for assignment. Jordan Yarmoto, uh, I think is on. I think he was on the New York Mets last year. Um, just a really interesting. Lewis Brinson uh, signed a minor league deal with the uh, Houston Astros, but it's a. It is really interesting to look at that because I do think there are moments of this, and I think. This is a really good example of why sometimes you shouldn't put too much weight in the prospects. Like, I'm not saying you should give away all of your prospects, okay? But I'm also saying that sometimes prospects are more hype than what they actually are. And it's clear that guys like Brinson, Diaz, uh, Harrison were just not necessarily big league players. I thought Diaz, he played against the Brewers a couple times and he actually did pretty well. Um, and Diaz was successful, and I thought, okay, there might be something here with Isan. Like they might, they might have, you know, missed out on this. And I know Mauricio Dubon, you know, played pretty well for the San Francisco Giants, but Dubon is no different than Orlando Arcia. Like it's basically the Spider-Man meme. I would rather have Willie Adamas and Luis Urias two times over. And I know I was very critical of the lack of shortstop options for the Brewers this time last year because uh, the Brewers, you know, kind of dragged their feet until they get Adamas. And I, I do worry, like, with this Urias injury, are they going to do something similar? But that's another story for another time. I think what it goes down to from a prospect perspective is it's just, it's just why you can't weigh these guys too heavily. There are those all-timers, like Sal Frillick is really good. Joey Widmer, I think, made the top 100 for the Brewers. I don't know a ton about prospects, I'll be honest, like hand up. It's not my it's not my bag. But I do I do know that there are certain guys where it's like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't trade. Like Widmer would be a, a guy that I think a lot of people would be mad the Brewers traded him. He's a top 100 guy, of course. Like that seems like a future cornerstone for the Brewers. But if they see something and they believe like, hey, we really think Widmer is going to be at best the six hitter and he's not going to necessarily live up to the potential that maybe he's being touted as, then the Brewers can get somebody real for that. You can get a real player for a top 100 prospect. And the Brewers have done a pretty good job of rebuilding their farm system after their farm system was kind of trashed for a few years. So credit to them. But yeah, I... I think it just speaks to why we you shouldn't get too excited about prospects. You have to wait to see what these prospects look like in the big leagues before, you know, just immediately calling them, you know, the next great thing. Um, and that's also true of spring training, right? Like Garrett Mitchell is another guy who hasn't necessarily cracked the top 100, but Garrett Mitchell was awesome in spring training last season. People were like, could Greg, Garrett Mitchell make the team? You know, very like Brooks Conrad s. And, you know, it's we'll see, right? What if Gary Mitchell sucks in the pros? Corey Ray is a guy who I think everybody's... I can't believe Corey Ray is still in the Brewers system. I think Corey Ray, you know, is a, another good example of this, where it's like two or three years ago, the Brewers could have easily put Corey Ray in a trade. They didn't. Um, and now Corey Ray has been really a AAA player. Like, he's never really, you know, made it up to the big leagues. He's never been able to break through. And he's in top pick for the Brewers. So... 
it, you know, prospects in baseball are always going to be fascinating. Sometimes they hit. Sometimes they're amazing. Like, I know the Padres right now, C.J. Abrams has kind of been picking up the slack for Fernando Tatis with his injury. And Abrams is a top-tier top tier prospect. He's, like, number top five. So, yeah, uh, very, very fascinating um, and interesting to see with the Marlins having nobody. That also speaks to the Marlins, you know, doing the damn thing. All right. That'll do it for today's show. Uh, back tomorrow. Uh, I may be tapping the keg. I've been bad about not texting Mitch uh, if Mitch can do a podcast. So it'll really be up to Mitch if we're going to be getting in the booth tomorrow to talk about all things Wisconsin sports. So if we don't um, and it's just me, then you'll have me um, for tomorrow and Friday as well. All right. Take care, guys. Have a good Wednesday. Uh, stay, stay dry. It's going to be raining like all day. All right. So stay dry here. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. See you. Bye.